You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Marcy Vogel. Marcy, thanks so much for being with me today. Oh, it's such a pleasure, Brainerd. Thanks for inviting me. Marcy, you're in L.A. now. It's September 21st. We're talking in pretty unusual times. How has... Uh, the last year been for you, or, or, or maybe, um, yeah, how are things going now, um, considering the, the last year for you creatively? Oh, thanks for, for asking. Um, I, don't, I mean, there's so much, um, you know, outside, um, but um, inside, I also, I moved from my house of 20, 24 years. So, um, so that was that was a big deal, and um, I moved to a, a place called Village Green. It's a national historic landmark here in Los Angeles, and um, it's built in the '40s. So it's been kind of wonderful to be here because there's a lot of trees. Um, you know, you, you look out, there's green. You can see um, your neighbors walking. So it it feels. Um, it feels like a, a really great place to have landed in such a such a strange, uh, isolating time. Feels really so. I don't know that neighborhood. That's a that's a beautiful kind of park, or uh, yeah, I forget. Oh, it's a famous architect um, who made it. I'm sorry, I can't think of the name. But um, like Olmsted, Olmsted is that famous architect that did Central Park. Yeah, well, it's it's more like buildings that are surrounding like a green space with trees. The village green. Yeah, it's right in the middle of the city here, and um, so it's it's very strange when you when you come in, it's just like this completely other place. Um, That's a kind of modernist city uh, complex, isn't it, or no? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's definitely like mid-century modern, so, uh, you know, that's been really nice. I have kind of the furniture to to, to go in it. Um, let's see, it built, oh, the architect is Reginald D. Johnson. Yeah. Mm. Well, that sounds good. Um, welcome to your new home. That's cool. And has that has that how has that affected you? I mean, I guess leaving that old home must have been hard to do and, and everything that moving involves, but this new place sounds kind of like a breath of fresh air in a way. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I just, I, I kind of made my living room into just kind of a big study with uh, books everywhere and, you know, my desk and comfy places to read. And, um, you know, it's just, it's a great place to work. Um, I have, I'm sort of getting this typewriter collection. <laughs> um, I started writing on, on typewriters um, starting in the pandemic. I really, I just felt like I was losing like tactile nature of things. I, I don't know. Um, yeah. So I, I, yeah, I got um, one of the typewriters I got from Italy, um, which was like... What was the, what, what, yeah, t- tell me the exact typewriter. I just bought a typewriter, so I'm really interested in that. What was the typewriter <laughs> that you bought? It's a, a Latera, it's an Olivetti Latera um, 32, and the keyboard it isn't quite right. It's, it's not even like it's 
um, a European keyboard. I took it. Um, I took it in to get serviced at a place here in LA, Star Electronics, and um, the guy there said it's just kind of wrong. Like somebody put it together wrong. So I kind of like it because it's, it's right enough that you can figure out um, when you type something what what you typed, but. There are always it's a, there's always at least one typo that just makes itself um, because the keyboard isn't quite right. And that's the only typewriter you have, though, or or are there others? No, no, I got um, as, as actually as part of my work at at USC, um, we have a, a a research budget, and I think it's intended to do um, more travel. But since nobody was traveling, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to have things come to me. And so um, I'm also writing on um, a Groma Calibri, which is a hummingbird. A Calibri is, I guess, German for a hummingbird. So this, this typewriter is from, um, I think, somewhere in the 50s. And it, it's, it's like a spy typewriter almost. Um, it was in a famous movie where they, it's so small, they put it under the, um, the floorboards. Um, so that, like, the, the Stasi police um, wouldn't find it. <laughs> and then I have a third one that I got, actually, a California typewriter before they closed up in Berkeley, and it's an Olympia, um, and it's, it's beautiful. Wow, and, the, and that first one, the Olivetti Latera, um, I mean, really not like a, a typewriter uh, collector, but I was looking into them a lot. And that's the one Cormac McCarthy had and still has, isn't it? Do you know anything about that? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, my friends have been, like, sort of sending me different, uh, like, little tidbits of information. I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's the yeah. one. Yeah, um, he had an Olivetti Letera. I, I think it was a, maybe a 32. I'm not sure, but, yeah, it was, uh, that's a beautiful, it's a beautiful-looking typewriter. Uh, lovely, <laughs> lovely machine. So, so how is it writing on that as opposed to, I haven't really used mine and written on it yet. I'm dying to, not sure where to start or what to do, but how is that different? It seems, um, I mean, like you're saying, there's that, there's that very strange thing of yours that has a personality of its own because it's kind of like a, a misfit and it, it throws out letters that you weren't ready for. But, um, but yeah, the process, you're, you're, you're a poet and a writer. What, what is the, uh, it seems fitting, but does that affect the process of writing? Uh, well, for me, it definitely has. It just, um, it, it also kind of, at, at the beginning, especially the pandemic, especially when I was in my old house and I couldn't quite hear, like, neighbors as well, um, it, it kind of keeps me company because the sound of it, and it, it reminds me, um, my mom used to um, type up envelopes when I was little, and sometimes I would go to sleep and I could hear her typing. And even my grandma did it too for like extra cash. And so it just kind of reminds me of my mom and my grandmother typing. Um, and I think it, I also like the draft is the draft. So if I make a mistake or I don't like a phrase that comes out, I just like type it in right as I want it in the next phrasing. So instead of like deleting right away. I mean, I have like a record of sort of how my brain is working <laughs> as it goes. Right. That's cool. That's cool. And, and um, I know you're going to read some poems uh, today. And in, 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 to contextualize that a little bit, 
what have you been working on? And, and, and what, to, to, I mean, not to say exactly what you're going to be reading from, but what have you been working on in this last few months or, or year? Um, oh, I just, it feels like I've, I've been so lucky because I have, um, it, it's, it's kind of like this time has coincided um, with, with time to work on things, but then, um, so I have the, the typewriters that I'm working on, and um, I call that like a love letter in triplicate because there's like the three different typewriters. And, um, and so each typewriter is kind of having um, its, its own sort of manuscript going on. Um, and then I've also been working on um, translations, of course, um, I have a, a book of translations um, that I'm looking to find a home for, and it's um, uh, by a Luxembourg writer named Anise Colts, and she's in her 90s now. So, um, yeah, it's just always really wonderful to to know that she's writing in her 90s over in a Luxembourg forest somewhere. <laughs> um, and then I'm working on... Um, Another book of uh, nonfiction, it's, it's like um, sort of my way of working is almost like in small pieces and the pieces sort of build up until I, I feel like it has sort of legs to keep walking. And so um, the other project is about my work as a teacher. I, I taught elementary school for 22 years um, before, uh, before my work at USC and I've just been thinking a lot about um, the students and teaching and my colleagues and what it means to teach. And um, so I'm, I'm working on that as well. And to ask you a little bit more about the translation that you're working on um, from, from Luxembourg, what was the original language? Do they speak French there? They have their own language too, don't they? Yes, yes, they do. Um, Anise was um, she? She's actually multilingual, and I think her first book um, might have even been published in English. But she, she originally her writing was in German, and then um, her her husband. Um, had suffered um, some torture under the Nazi regime, and she um, it, he 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 never really recovered. She decided that she didn't want to write in her poetry in German anymore, so she started writing in French, um, publishing her work in French, and so that's what I've been translating from is um, is the poetry in French. And you, and you also said, so each typewriter you have is producing its own manuscript. You're, you're, that's that's um, kind of married to each typewriter? Yes, yes. Each typewriter actually has, um, has a name. The Letera is um, named uh, Leonie after my grandmother. And um, it's got sort of like a, I guess this totem is a lion. Here in California, we have, you know, our mountain lions trying to cross freeways and such. And then um, the, the colibri is, um, since that's, uh, I guess, German for hummingbird, um, you know, in California, too, we've got, we've got our fair share of hummingbirds. 
Um, and then the, the Olympia from California typewriter in Berkeley, um, I think their old storefront had like the California bear, um, his name is Monarch. So all the, the ideas of the California bear stories and, um, uh, yeah, I kind of feel like I, I've got this little menagerie. <laughs> so those are the different manuscripts. And let's hear some of your poems. What are you, um, I'd love to hear what's your, you know, a poem. What, what are you going to read us first? Uh, let's go ahead and, um, let's go ahead and read something coming up from the, from the Calibri typewriter. Um, the Hummingbird one. This one's called Self-Portrait with Hummingbird and Beaver Moon. Okay, so this poem um, was started on the Calibri, the Hummingbird typewriter. It's called Self-Portrait with Hummingbird and Beaver Moon. Hydraulic brightness, I was once a child constructing kingdoms of branches and mud. Each morning, thick pelts sprouted from my skin. Each night, I'd begin again. Novembers, I streamed toward fullness, more being than industry. It said the smallest of birds flies all night without stopping, departs at dusk with a flock of passerines, arrives the next day on warmer shores. Wintering young birds trace the same ancestral route. Years into the future they alight, ruby-throated, on the exact day in the exact spot. By what knowledge, no one knows. Thank you. I love that. And obviously that came from the typewriter. That's the hummingbird, right? Yes, yes. Okay. If I'm, if I'm keeping them all in order. Great. And um, so, so, so I'd love to hear another one. And which typewriter is this next one from? Or is that how you're reading them? Um, let's see. I uh, let me find um let me find you a bear poem. Um I think it's funny because I this one didn't come from the Olympia, but the bear the bear typewriter. Um but that one's called Ursula. Um but I think I've been writing California bear poems for a while. <laughs> um and this one was written for um uh, a young a young girl um, a young girl in 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 my life a friend's little girl um, who's now grown uh, it's called she slips a totem under her pillow when I am weary of existing as a city human I imagine my body as a bear gathering blackberries making a den sleeping all winter I whisper to my dreaming form your animal nature thrives not on oil or water, not through air, but on earth, the weight of it, solid. When I was a girl, some scientists put me in a class for the gifted. I thought we were going to get presents. The teacher assigned a report instead. Such disappointment. I went home, placed my finger on the encyclopedia for bears, opened it as if it were a special occasion, copied every word in my best printing. 
Grizzlies belong to a species of bears called Ursus arctos. They are sometimes called silver tips. Years pass. I am not a bear, but a different teacher on a class trip where we traipse all the kids a mile in the dark for a lecture on survival. Mountain climbers eat butter to stay warm. I would rather eat fish. On the way back to the flatlands, we file past a real bear who watches through unclosed eyes. Only one child notices, and no one believes because she is the sort who sees what is wild. I once knew a girl who fell in love with a bear forever towering at the Wildlife Museum. Instead of fear, the girl, just steady on her two human legs, would bare her teeth and growl. Listen, through deep winter sleep, I hear her. Thank you. That was beautiful. So, um, and you said you've written bear poems before. This is one of, of many, or, <laughs> or is that not the case? Yeah, uh, no, this one is actually in, um, in my book, um, At the Border of Wilshire and Nobody. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess. I'm trying to keep track of which typewriter this is from, but that typewriter, now it seems like they have a relationship to the typewriter itself, which, which, <laughs> which I love, or, unless I'm just, like, um, you know, stretching it there, but... Does that also have a relationship to that typewriter in, in a sense? Not because it was just made on it, but because of the type of typewriter it is, and and or maybe not. That's fine if it doesn't. But it, that's just such a kind of fascinating and unusual, um, you know, kind of idea to to sort of relate to each typewriter and for each manuscript to relate to each typewriter. Yeah, I think it's a way. Um, maybe we. Like as as artists, you know, we have our our obsessions, I guess, and so they kind of keep coming around in different ways, and 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 then this old school way now with the with the typewriters, it's it's just maybe like another approach to trying to get at something that just keeps fascinating us. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I like that, and I, I I love what you're doing. So. And you're going to read one more. I'd love to hear one more. Uh, thank you. Um, let's see. There's. I was thinking just because I think today is like the equinox. Is it something like the fall equinox? Yes. Uh, so I was thinking um, my uh, my novella, Death and Other Holidays, it's, um, it's kind of also divided up, um, not by typewriters, but by seasons. And um, and this piece, uh, it's a flash fiction piece um, from the novella. It's called Harvest, uh, in honor of the solstice today. Harvest. I don't know why I thought I could grow anything, but it seemed worth a go. Victor told me I could sign up for a plot in the community garden down the street from my new apartment. It has a great view. You can see all the way to the ocean. I went to the nursery and bought all kinds of stuff. Gloves, seeds, fertilizer, an assortment of shovels and rakes. I put it all in the trunk of my car. Victor and I took to walking over in the evenings after dinner. The first time we went, Victor tore out all the weeds with his bare hands while I watched the sun go down. 
After that, it became our regular Friday night date. We kept a couple of aluminum and nylon webbed folding chairs there. We'd sit them in the dirt, watch the pink sky, the glassy ocean. The Friday after Thanksgiving, we actually drove over. We took out the gear from the car, turned over the dirt, and emptied a bag of soil grow into the ground. The woman in the next plot told us it wasn't really the season to start a garden, not tomatoes anyway. I looked up early winter planting in a book I got from the library, Sunset Easy Guide to Vegetable Gardens. It said lettuce and certain kinds of beans. This is California, Victor said. Plant whatever you want. I bought seeds for lettuce, zucchini, and green beans and drove over to the garden. I followed the directions on the back of the seed packets, planted the zucchini in two lopsided circles, the beans in a small grid. They would need watering more than every Friday. It's best to come in the early morning or evening, the woman in the next plot told me. If you're going to be here in the afternoons, you'll need a hat. Yeah, okay, I said, thanks. About every two days, I drove over to the garden after work, put on my denim blue hat, and watered the dirt. By the next Friday, the beans had sprouted. I showed Victor. Beans put in the ground will do that, he said. In another week or so, the zucchini plants poked up and the beans were ready to pick. I cooked them that evening for dinner. We each got 12 beans. Later, we walked over to the garden to see the bright orange flowers on the zucchini plants. It was getting dark early now, and the petals glowed like huge orange bugs in the twilight. The next week, I had a big project at work, and by the following Friday, everything had wilted from no water. I was miserable with failure. Victor kissed me, held my hand all the way back to the apartment. The next day, I got the yearly Jewish New Year's letter from Esther and Saul, elderly cousins of my father's. Three months late, the letter had been forwarded to my new place. It was written all in capital letters. What is going on in our garden? Things are not going too well. We had some cabbage, but it tasted bitter. The tomato plant started out very good, but by the time the fruit came, the plants wilted, so it could have been the heat or a fungus in the soil. The fig tree is doing very well, except the green figs that are supposed to taste sweet are not. We always have a rose on our dining room table. Thank you so much for that. Um, and, and that's from your book, correct? Yes, yes, that's from Death and Other Holidays, and um, it's April, um, is, is the narrator. I love that. It, 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 you know, I'm not sure when you wrote that, but for me that seems to also have a different meaning in the, in the pandemic, and we're almost post-pandemic now with um, people gardening more or trying to, um, you know, that's... Um, that's a, that's a that's a struggle that is is both uh, you know recent for many, but also but also ongoing. Um, 
but this wasn't written, of course, during the pandemic. It was written years before it, correct? Uh, well, it came. The book came out in um, 2018, um, so it came out kind of right before the pandemic. But yes, um, uh, the story itself, and, and then also the memory um, that plays into the story. I don't, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah, that's a, it's this idea of, yeah, letters and things you can hold in your hand and things you can dig into the dirt, which has a whole another meaning these days, too, digging into earth. Yes, it does. It does. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I, I, I'm so glad you, you read this work today. Um, I really love your work, and I'd, I'd love to hear what you're reading now. What, what books are on your nightstand? Oh, my goodness. Well, my mom got me a tablet, so I've, I've just started to make this change from, um, from holding books in my hand to holding this tablet, and so far it's going pretty well. I mean, I'm not, I don't think I'm willing to, to give up holding all the books in my hand. Actually, I just... Um, picked up in Village Green. Somebody had a whole bunch of books on a blanket that they were finished with, and one of the ones I picked up was Susan Choi's Trust Exercise. I'm really looking forward to, to opening that book up for, for real. Mm. That's a real book. And then, well, not that these aren't real books, but it's just, it's just a different experience for me reading on a tablet. So, um, and then, um, but what's really wonderful about the tablet, especially now in the pandemic, is you can go to the library and then you could just check out a book and it, you have to like go to the library, which in some cases is closed right now still anyway, but it just like downloads right there on your tablet. So I did that with um, um, Carmen, um, Carmen Machado, uh, let's see. Mm-hmm. Let me just get the author for you. Um, oh, yeah, Carmen Maria uh, Machado and um, in the Dream House. I had had um, her body and other parties, but um, this memoir I was really wanting to read, and it's just right there at the library, and I downloaded it along with um, Deborah Levy's memoirs. Um, Real Estate is the new one, and then I loved that one so much. I, I read the first two. Um, I got them from the library, too. Well, that's great to hear. I haven't, I haven't done that with a tablet yet, but I've, I've seen that, and it does seem really cool. And a nice contrast to you having a typewriter, too. You know, those are <laughs> kind, of, kind of the opposite forms in terms of it being tactile or, or, or the, you know, the physicality of the word. Um, Marcy, I want to thank you so much for talking with me today. I really appreciate your time and your work, and um, I just want to say thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you, Brainerd. Thanks for inviting me. It was, it was great to chat with you. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. <laughs>